You're listening to CGR Cougar Radio, radio station at Misericordia University, Dallas, Pennsylvania. Hello and welcome to this this edition of Holiday Talk, where we talk about holidays you may or may not have heard of, and potentially learn something new along the way. Returning with returning after our catch up special hiatus is my co-host Isaac. Welcome back to the show. Hey, how's it going? Anyway, let's not waste any time here. Let's move to our first day, which is March twenty first. Our first day of the day of that day is World Puppetry Day. So, it actually does trace back to the Indus Valley civilization, as we know that terracotta dolls with detachable heads were manipulated by a string during that time. We also see its roots in Egypt, as with wooden puppets, with the action of kneading bread. Then we got 5th century BC, written records of the works of Herodotus and Xenophon suggest that puppet shows were performed for the masses in ancient Greece, and in 1929, the Unima or was established in Prague, which sparks puppetry in the modern world and get and inspired stuff like like Sesame Street or Jim Henson. Isaac, got any, got anything to say about this? I mean, I think it's pretty neat. Um, if you if you look at it, there's a lot that um, you can do with that because I feel like that brings in a whole new level of acting that a lot of people uh, don't even think about. And yeah, there, I've seen many types of puppets: the marionette kind, the 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 sock puppet kind, the paper bag kind, and even the Muppet or even the Jim Henson Muppet kind. Yeah, it's a lot of different stuff, and some puppets are made out of a few small things, and some of them are super intricate. It's kind of interesting to see the difference. And heck, you can even say that the modern day animatronics are kind of like a technological version of a puppet. <laughs> Especially if you have someone controlling them. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but these days we uh, use animat- computers to control the animatronics. They're kind of almost like robot puppets in a way. Yeah. Once you think about it. Even so, yeah, puppets fun, fun for the world beyond fun for the world and. Absolutely, I- and they have such a a wide range that they're used in. And it's neat to see how e- how we w- know so much about mo- modern puppetry that we don't know what the roots are, and it goes back to the whole in the, one of the first civilizations of mankind. Right. Kind of cool that it's kind of cool to see what we know modern day and trace it back to roots. In fact, this is kind of like the general thing of holiday talk. If I want to transition to that, it kind of what we take for. Granite nowadays and what we see as modern equivalents of, you never forget your roots. And that's what Holiday Talk is all about. Seeing those roots and how they grow over time into what we know them as today. Roots are good. I like root vegetables. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably get to we'll probably get to food stuff later. But anyway, let's move on. We have also on that same day we have World Poetry Day. This actually traces back to the 18th century BC with the Epic of Gilgamesh as one of the earliest works of poetry. We have also the 14th century when Francesco Petrarca's writings are more of one of the most infamous early of sonnets, sonnets popularized by William Shakespeare. <laughs> then we have ni- 1999, UNESCO marks the March 21st as World Poetry Day at its 30th General Conference in Paris. 
and March 21st, 2000, the wor first World Poetry Day is held. So it was kind of a new millennium thing. Well, don't even uh, don't forget about like the Iliad and the Odyssey that Homer wrote. Of course, the ancient Greeks. How could I have forgotten those? Yeah, and it's and I think we talked about this before with I think it was National Library Day. Did we bring that oh, up? I think so. Where where the Library of Alexandria apparently I think he had more works and they actually unfortunately Lost got destroyed. Time. Yeah. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing to uh, cover. I mean, I like poetry. Um, I've I've written poetry years ago. I've I've lost them all, but um, it was a is an interesting time in my life, and poetry actually helps a lot of people get through a lot of things. Well, poetry is kind of another form of writing, because it kind of makes because you're trying to find sorry trying to find the words that sometimes rhyme or trying to make them all flow together. Right. I it's, mean. Well, it's or, describing no. words. It has a specific flow, but it's also telling a story or or expressing an emotion. It's it's not just. It's not. There's no beginning and end. It's the journey as well. It's it's kind of an interesting thing because if you look at them versus a book, they're obviously completely different. Yet they they have so many different details that are similar, in my opinion. Especially if you look at um, some really interesting works like uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, stuff like that. Really interesting stuff. Yeah, even even what I brought up earlier during the history portion of Shakespeare, he popular, I think he, uh, what we know today is, the, we know them earlier today, it's like sonnets and stuff like that. More modern stuff, yeah. Yeah, and how we see how the, how the Old English prowse kind of works into that naturally. Right, and I think that if you look at it, a lot of music is just poems that have just put been put to a rhythm. <laughs> and it kind of goes back to the whole roots thing and how we discover, how we take a look at its roots and see how well it's become. Even some words can have roots, too, that found its way into poetry. Right, and I think, I think sonnets can be sang, too, can't they? Yeah, I don't know, some kind of... I don't know, even plays can be poetry, kind of like telling a story. Absolutely. A lot of the monologues and stuff are similar to poetry. If you look at, like, Romeo and Juliet, uh, some of the monologues throughout that, a lot of describing, and it's a lot of deep emotion if you look into it. Yeah, I... I've, I've actually... I, yeah, I've known about the whole Romeo and Juliet for my long while, but I never started to get a full appreciation until my freshman year in high school. I've actually... Uh, We've actually read the play out loud with each person with different roles. Yeah, we I, did that. Oh, that was a common thing. Yeah, we've, we've done that. Uh, Even my, uh, my uh, high school production actually put on a uh, version of Hamlet. Yeah. With Japanese iconography. We, we did a lot of plays and stuff, and I was in them, but we did more so musicals. Yeah, it's and even so, Jap even so, uh, Jap... Even Japanese have their own form of poetry, the haikus. Yeah, haikus. Yeah, the five seven five. If you see an Isle of Dogs, you may you kind of have a bit of understanding with it, but I like that movie. I think I've seen it. Yeah, you Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. Is that the one where it's like, let's see what's in the bag, and then they're like, before we fight, and then they open the bag, and they're like, yeah, it's worth it. I haven't seen the movie, so I don't really know. Oh, okay. That was the part that turned into an absolute meme. I loved it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I may, I may find out where that comes from eventually. And even so, 
Even so, all forms of writing can be connected to poetry in some sort of fashion. Anyway, we'll be moving on to March 22nd with World Water Day and Banana Crepes Day right after this commercial break. See you guys then. In the small town of Elmira, New York, a boy was born into an all-American family. The odds of him opening his own clothing store at the age of 18? One in 138,000. Excited to be a part of pop culture, he packed for the big city. The odds of finding someone to invest in his vision? One in 4.5 million. The odds of him achieving his dream in the fashion industry? One in 23 million. The odds of having a child diagnosed with autism? One in 68. I am Tommy Hilfiger, and my family is affected by autism. I encourage you to learn more at autismspeaks.org signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Every day across this country, hundreds of college radio stations take to the air, broadcasting music and programming that you won't hear anywhere else. It's one of the last places where people can really be able to actually say what they want to say. Without it, you wouldn't have a place for local artists to perform. Certain people need to have a chance, a fighting chance, and college radio is that place for it. College radio changes the lives of those who are involved with it and can change those who listen to it too. This is where we start out, you know, from getting all this great experience working in college radio it makes you want to work in real radio. College radio means finding yourself. It helped me find what I wanted to do in not only school, but in life. So support college radio by continuing to listen to this station and supporting the students who make it happen. College radio now more than ever. A message brought to you by this station and the college radio foundation. For more information, please visit collegeradio.org. Welcome back, everybody. Let's move on to March 22nd with World Water Day. Actually, this actually is not a not a country. Let me start over. Actually, this is not really a uh, more ancient invention. Well, water itself has been old as time as the Earth itself, almost. But it's actually an invention going back to the early 1990s with the concept of World Water Day proposed to the UN. It wasn't until a year later when it was held the first time, and 12 years later, in 2005, the Water for Life Decade was launched, which aimed to give a higher profile to women's participation and UN-related water programs. And in 2020, we had a theme of world water and climate change and how the two were linked. John, are you saying that water is a natural resource? Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah, I know, I know. But... Um, no, and, and the thing is, is that water is such a powerful uh, thing, especially in in great numbers. It is both a life giver and a life taker, if you look at it, because of all the tsunamis and floods that can happen or the fact that we need it to literally survive. It's, it's something that is so polar yet so interesting, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, you talk about how we need to survive. I'm drinking water now as we speak. They're in between all these talking. All this talking. <laughs> so yeah, it is even considered one of the ancient elements alongside earth, wind, and fire. That's a good band. <laughs> I but, get it. Uh, yeah. No, it's, it is it is absolutely. And honestly, when I was younger, I actually wanted to be a marine biologist. 
it was something that I was really interested in because I loved uh, fish and, and fishing and stuff and it was something that was really interesting and I loved to learn more about all the creatures and stuff that you can't even see underneath. Yeah, it's like the land, air, and sea are kind of like three different worlds combined into one. It's really intriguing to oh, see, yeah. see what kind of creatures or things we can find just on, by underwater. Well, it's like um, if you look at turtles and stuff, did you know that turtles can breathe out their butts? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I never considered that. Yes. It's a very interesting fact that I uh, was told, and I'm pretty sure it's true for most of them. And it's like, it's it's interesting stuff. And, and how many, how would you have ever learned that unless somebody would have figured it out through either biology or marine biology? It's kind of like the first person who drank milk. It's like, I'm going to drink something, the thing that comes out of a cow's udder. Well, it's, it's also the fact of the people who eat honey for the first time. Or, those, those bees are hiding something delicious in there, and I know it. Anyway, anyway, and even so, I'd have to give our little empathy to our peop, uh, to the people who are listening out west who may have lack of water because of the climate there. Right. You may guys may not have the whole that have the really finicky stuff of snow, but without water, you're kind of a little dehydrated, and that's a little bit sad. And that's how deserts are born. I even the Sahara was considered fertile at one point. Yeah, wasn't it an ocean at one point? I thought too. I thought it was kind of like a greenish. I thought it was kind of like a lush paradise. I don't remember. I, I remember hearing about it, but that was a long time ago. And even so, it's kind of sad that people don't really have clean water in order to bathe. Or wasn't it like under either under three or under one percent of the water is actually drinkable right now? Because 70% of the world is water. It's just the fact that most of it is salt water. True. And and those in Flint, Michigan had, yep. had to go with contaminated water. Yeah. It was, it was, was it lead? I think so. It was lead and other materials, I think. Yeah. Yeah, probably. It's crazy. So water. So, so water. Base. A world low, but also, we, but also a maintainable thing for your body. Moving on, we also have Bavarian Crepes Day. This actually was this actually was first mentioned by the Greeks as they mentioned the yummy dish known as plakios. I'm not, not sure that's how to pronounce it, but hey, I don't. I'm just not sure how. how. In 350 BC, 160 BC, a famous Roman soldier called Cato the Elder includes a detailed recipe for platskonshink in his book called the Agriculture. Then we got the 13th century in which crepes were accidentally made in Brittany. France, in France, when a housewife accidentally spilled some porridge into a hot flat cooktop. And in 18th century, a couple of chefs were working at a court in, in the Whittles Batch Princes and make... Okay, working at the court of the Whittles Batch Princes and to make Bavarian cream. So yeah, the modern day equivalent of crepes... They were an accidental, another accidental invention. Like the potato chip. Yeah. It's kind of funny how some things were invented by accident, and crepes is just an example. Oh, yeah. I've invented a bunch of stuff by accident. It's just the fact that it's already out there, but it's just that I've discovered it. Um, so I'm, a big, I'm big into fishing and stuff, and um, 
I've made lures, like certain lures, and literally two or three months later, I saw one of them on the front cover of a magazine, and it was it was like kind of a coincidence, and I'm like, no way. <laughs> yeah, kind of an unintentional discovery at that. Yeah, point. and it, and it worked really well. I did I um, and nobody knew about it that I knew of at least in my area, and then it just shows up on on the front of a magazine one day and i'm like that's crazy uh, back to crepes i've only had crepes once and that was during a trip one of the many trips in to breckenridge where there was a crepe stand and i got myself a chocolate banana crepe i've had crepes but they were like kind of eggy i mean i, I feel like if i had a proper one i think it would be all right yeah i i really don't I think they are a nice little dessert or something like that. It It's just, as for personal experience, I've only had the one I can recall that it really sticks out in my mind. I'm just a huge fan of pancakes. Yeah, it kind of, yeah, and even so, crepes and pancakes are not really too far off with Bavarian crepes as is modern, with the modern equivalents. Right. Even so... And even so, even so, another, you can add another one to the accidental thing. I know we're going back to the whole accidental inventions, but serious, but even, even if you weren't really trying to get an invention, and even if you were trying not to do anything, you could still make something that could really benefit people in its entirety. Like with your whole fishing lure story, yeah. for example. Well, it's like, um, also looking into certain things. So, um... Let me let me put it this way. Uh, I work on a lot of guitars and stuff. And some people have the skills to do one thing, but not the other. So, like, there are certain people that have been able to build guitars. Like, I, I, I can put together one, but I can't play it. Yeah, even so, we... I, I, crepes and crepes as well as accidental inventions. Anyway, we'll be moving on to March 23rd right after this commercial break. We'll see you after this brief PSA. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. I want to be a warm fleece on a cold I want to day. Be a football I want to be a bike that races around the country. I want to be a bench on a forest trail. When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. Brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. 
I don't believe it. My savings are gone. Okay. Think. Where'd you have them last? I was home. Then I spent them on that vacation in this tiny suit of armor. Now they're gone. Weird. Weird? Not really. Not saving now means no money later. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas on ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Oh, I broke his little gauntlet. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, the Pennsylvania Institute of CPAs, and the Ad Council. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, with March 23rd, also known as World Meteorological Day. This actually goes back to the 1870s, with the International Meteorological Association was formed to exchange information about weather across national borders. Then we've got March 23rd in 1950, the, the IMO becomes the World Meteorological Organization, which it still is today. And it wasn't until 1961 when the first World Meteorological Day is observed on the anniversary of the organization's creation. And as late as 2017, its theme was understanding clouds. Yeah, I think it's interesting um, that predicting, it's about predicting the weather, right? It's not just about predicting weather, it's, it's also about saving lives as well. Absolutely. I mean, if you predict the weather, you can potentially warn people about possible hurricanes or tsunamis and have everyone move to a safe place before the actual event happens. Right. So it's, it's predicting extreme storms as well. I think it's interesting. I think meteorology is kind of an unsung hero in that sense that um, they're able to focus on patterns and predict what's going to happen next i think they also it's it's like a bunch of information plus information from before when it happened before so they can figure out patterns and stuff like that and even so they're not still not 100 percent accurate oh absolutely it's it's a it's not a complete guessing game but like when you see something and you the stuff is right for 17 inches of snow and you only get seven i mean the conditions were right for it but the fact is is that sometimes it just doesn't happen that way i mean it's i mean they can't really see into the future right nobody can that's just how and life is that's what people forget about uh what meeting about weather weather meteorological uh the weather report guys, or right. I don't know the exact term when it comes Meteorologist. to Meteorologists. Meteorologists, yeah. They're not exactly they're not exactly predicting 100% of the time, but they're even doing their so, best. They, they're doing their best, and even so, we that's kind of what the thing that people don't really take into account. Right. I think it's, I think it's a difficult job in and of itself because I believe um, a lot of them... Even some scientists, I feel like, could be classified as meteorologists in a way. I mean, especially with doing, like, different patterns of, like, um, when they do tsunamis with the buoys and stuff. That's really cool because they're able to predict what causes it or what will cause it. Um, certain weather patterns, like the people that chase um, tornadoes and stuff, they have to find the patterns that will uh, show that a tornado will uh, come to be uh, come to existence mostly in the mid mostly in the middle of middle of it and even so seismographs and earthquakes show how severe it was and where the fault originally was located and even it even tornado chasing is kind of a risky job you right could potentially die from it have you ever seen twister i've heard of the movie i i've seen it, it was years ago but it was actually pretty interesting yeah he, 
Yeah, I've heard of a story where a tornado chaser team was actually caught in a tornado and the f- and they all died and yeah and the footage is lost to time. Well, you, you can't predict how. Like sometimes when a tornado touches down, you can't predict how it's going to move. And if you get too close and it moves the wrong way, it it's just spells it's disaster. Over. It's over <laughs> in more ways than one. Absolutely. I think it's also interesting if you look at a hurricane. There's eyes in the hurricane. I think that I think that's very interesting because that's actually a calm part. That's like the common the storm, the common expression. Yeah. So meteorology, uh, uh, ain't an interesting job, but it also has got its risk too. Anyway, another one in the foodological days. We have National Chip and Dip Day. This actually goes back to the 13th century with one of the most popular dips on the market market today, hummus, which is believed to have originated in ancient Egypt. This was produced from an abundance of chickpeas as its primary ingredient. Then we have 1817, when potato chips can be traced back to an English chef, Willie Kitchener, who includes crisps in his best-selling cookbook, The Cook's Oracle. Even so, crisps is still used as a term for potato chips in the UK today. Then in the 1950s, the chip and dip combination skyrockets at the end of World War II with new entertainment fads and the introduction of Lipton Sue advertising campaign for their famous French onion dip. And even in 2020, American dip over 11 million pounds of potato chips and 8 million pounds of dip or tortilla chips and 4 million pounds of pretzels during the Super Bowl. All sounds like a big party. Yeah. Yeah, that's just for the grand total. And I'm pretty sure that's all for the Super Bowl. Yep. Even so, any chip and dip experiences? Yeah. I I heard certain stories about the chips, too, where, like, um, they're in a restaurant and the person ordered like fried potatoes and they wanted he wanted them cut extra thin and what happened was the chef cut them way too thin and cooked them hard and it created that chip kind of crunchiness that you that you get uh especially like modern day stuff and especially like looking back on it it doesn't seem that far off especially talking about crepes and and everything else yeah, and it's another one of those accidental inventions we mentioned earlier in the broadcast. Right. And he, I do like the chips itself, potato, tortilla, chip, etc. Just not the, just not a fan of some specific dips. I mean, not a big fan of salsa or French onion. But if it's a cheese dip, I'm going all in like nachos. Oh, I like I like salsa. I like salsa and hummus and cheese dip. Uh, French onion dip's all right. I like spinach dip. It, I am I am all in for chips and dip. And even so, I'm just surprised that hummus actually exists existed as far back as ancient as as the Egyptian as the ancient Egyptians. So we have our ancient Egypt friends to thank for that. Well, I believe that weren't chickpeas like a staple crop for them? I think so. It was uh and they're very healthy for you, a lot of good natural fats in them and stuff like that. It's very it's actually very nutritious. Eve. I think they have a lot of protein in them too. I don't remember though. Really, chi- really chickpeas. Yeah. Well, it's like um, soybeans, and you have soy protein. Isn't hummus technically another form of bean dip, or bee th- dip, or something kind like of? That? I think chickpeas are a legume. Legume. Yeah. Uh, it are also types of beans kind of legumes too? It depends on the bean, I believe. Yeah, it is kind of. It's just something that you kind of think about. 
And even so, the more preferred uh, dip actually is, exists longer back, but we only get really, people only recognize it as just another dip in the. Chickpeas are a legume, also known as a garbanzo bean. Aha! I knew it is another form of bean dip. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, uh, chip and dips. Fun little party snack for Super Bowls, get-togethers, and what have you. Anyway, we'll be moving on to March 24th right after this commercial break of PSAs. Are you in need of counseling? Do you need someone to talk to? Catholic Social Services of the Diocese of Scranton can help. Our professional counselors can help you work through episodes of depression and anxiety, the challenges that affect your marriage or family, issues of loss and grief, pregnancy, or anger. For more information, call 570-822-7118 or find us online at Catholic Social Services of the Diocese of Scranton. That's Catholic Social Services of the Diocese of Scranton. So, I'm a dog, and I just got adapted by this new human guy, and I'm starting to wonder how he got along without me. I mean, okay, something as simple as walking around the block. He's got this leash thing, and he puts me on one end and him on the other, and I'm just taking him around. I, I think he's afraid of getting lost. Without that leash and me guiding him along, I don't think he'd find his way back home. But it's kind of cute. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. You could save. Your friend, teacher, boss. So learn F-A-S-T. Then pass it on. Because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague. Spot a stroke team. fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Ryan Seacrest for RAD. Over 300 people in this country are killed every week by a drunk driver. That's the equivalent of two 747 plane crashes every single week. And the problem isn't going away unless we all do our part to stop it. So if you see someone who's about to drive after drinking, get the keys. Don't leave it up to anyone else. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. You're listening to CGR Cougar Radio, radio station at Misericordia University, Dallas, Pennsylvania. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Let's move on to March 24th, also known as, or yesterday, with National Cheese Ta Steak Day. Now, this actually traces back to the 1930s when the cheesesteak was created by Pat and Harry Oliveri, hot dog vendors who just so happened to put steak on the grill. We also, then in the 1940s, we have the Oliveris open up their now iconic South Philly restaurant, also known as Pat's King of Steaks. Then in the 1950s, we have Kraft Food, which launches Cheese Whiz, which becomes the traditional choice for cheese in Philadelphia and for cheesesteak. And then in 1966, Geno Steak opens right across the street from Pat's, feeling a friendly rivalry that rages on to this very day. I love cheese steaks, and I love Cheese Whiz. I have not had the the proper Philly cheesesteak though with the whiz on it. I've had though a lot of cheesesteaks in my day and I've made some cheesesteaks. I absolutely love it. I love steak on the grill too, but in my opinion a cheesesteak is completely different. I've only had a cheesesteak once and that is not and wasn't really the proper way to eat it. I I had to eat it at a restaurant back when I used to live in uh, Syracuse or Manlius or something like that. Mm -hmm. 
And that was about it for my Philly cheesesteak experience. It is really good when it's done right. It feels like you need to go to Philadelphia in order to get the true Philly cheesesteak feel. I feel like I, if I really wanted to, I could make one like it. But the thing is, is that it's you gotta be you gotta do it right. You know what I mean? Like if I'm gonna do it, how I'm gonna do it is I'm gonna get a big piece of French bread and do it, and I'm gonna cut a hole in it and put some garlic butter in it and put the whole cheesesteak in it and then cheese whiz on top. I think that would be really really good. Um, obviously, that's still not a proper Philly cheesesteak, but in my mind, that's about as close as I'm going to be able to get it. And we are in the same state as Philadelphia is. I mean, it's it is kind of a long car ride, or, or a couple a hours. Ride. Yeah, even so, I've been there a couple times. You've you've been absolutely. Yeah, I've been to Philadelphia and Harrisburg, and uh, recently I actually went to Pittsburgh, which was kind of cool, because I've never been there before. There's a lot of bridges. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, kind of, the whole, the way you say kind of a lot of bridges kind of reminds me of New York City in a way. They have a lot of bridges, too. I think, I don't remember if it was Philly or, or Harrisburg, I had the best sandwich I've ever had. Really? It was, um, oh, it was actually in a hospital. They had a, a cafe at the top of the hospital called the, I think it was called the Seven Bridges Cafe. And I walked in and this guy's like, let me make you a sandwich. And, and it, cause I didn't know what I wanted. And he made me a roast beef sandwich with uh, toasted red, or red uh, onions on it. And I think it was either cheddar or pepper jack cheese and a horseradish aioli. And that was the best sandwich that I've ever had. It was all toasted over. It was amazing. Wow. It's just I don't know, the whole aioli, the last time I've heard of that as a sauce is when I ordered, like, one of those pizza burgers at the Mellow Mushroom down in Hilton Head. For a- aioli is, is like a, 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 a mayonnaise mix. So, like, a horseradish aioli, like, I've made it. It's it's horseradish and garlic and pepper and mayonnaise, and you put it in and, and, you, and you put it in and you stir it until it gets to like this this particular flavor and i never make mine really spicy i make it just have that little bit of a flavor to it it's perfect i see even that would be really good on a cheesesteak too even even so combine your uh, whole sandwich recipe with the whole philly cheesesteak style and i think you've got a sandwich made in heaven oh yeah i love that anyway moving on from one food related item to another one national chocolate raisin covered raisin day Ooh. now this actually goes back to the, in, to the discovery of chocolate in Mexico from a vessel used for cacao drinks back in 1900 BC. Then in 1926, we found that delicious, delicious chocolate-covered treats are invented and first introduced. It wasn't until 42 years later when the legend started when trail mix was first created in California by two surfers looking for an energizing snack. And since then, trail mix mojo has definitely skyrocketed with the addition of chocolate-covered raisins. Then in 2010, with the introduction of Pinterest, you can actually create a board dedicated to your favorite obsessions, as there are some pretty cool ideas for chocolate-covered raisins out there. And even so, I haven't even mentioned Raisinets, one of the first really chocolate-covered raisin brands that comes to mind. I don't like raisins. Really? I do not. I like grapes. I like like the cranberry raisins, but I do not like regular raisins. I, I'm one of those kids that would suck the chocolate off of uh, chocolate-covered raisins and just spit the raisin. Really? I, yeah, I'm kind of the opposite. I do like raisins, as they're one, of, they're one of the snacks I can remember back 
back when I was young. I like. I think the white raisins aren't as bad. Like the yellow ones, the the ones made from white grapes. Ah. I don't like the red grapes. The red grape raisins. I do not like them. I don't know why. It's just something about it. I think it's the flavor. It's just it. it something doesn't hit right. Um, although going to chocolate, I think it's interesting because think about this. Uh, South America is where we get a lot of cacao. Mexico, I think, had some too. Um, a lot of our sugar and stuff, think about this. Think about where we get that because we get it from stevia and sugar cane and all this other stuff. But sugar cane was on islands. So somebody had to have gotten sugar cane and gotten cocoa and put them together. <laughs> and think about also, Pennsylvania is also the place of Hershey. Hershey chocolate. And that is one of the first milk chocolates. Even so, even so, the town of Hershey, Pennsylvania, was started up by milk the Hershey's Hershey. company. Yep. Even, even, even Hershey Park. I've only been to that once. My sister lives near it. Uh, she lives, I think, a half an hour from Hershey Park. Um, and in in her place, there's like a Dove chocolate factory. And she lives near a bunch of dairy farms, so if the wind blows one way, you get the smell of chocolate. And if the wind blows another way, you get dairy cow poo. <laughs> then you're going to have to you're you gonna have to gamble hope, on which way the wind blows. You just hope the wind blows the right direction that day. Because you get one or the other, and it's either enjoyable or not so much. Yeah, it's yeah. I can imagine living next, <laughs> living on a place where one the wind blows one way, he gets sweet smelling, and the wind blows another way, he gets the smell of poo. It's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, I live on a farm, so I'm used to it. But it's like once in a while, it's just like, oh, okay. I mean, I live in the suburbs most of my life, so I can't really tell you. Even even so, I don't think raisinets are that bad i haven't really had a much to give my own personal opinions on them but from what i've tasted they can be enjo they can be enjoyed whether you're a chocolate lover or a raisin lover or i mean i haven't had a lot of them to be honest just because i don't like raisins i've never tried the the like the raisinets and stuff really but like it, if i did i would have been the kid to to do that yeah, even so, just sucking out, even looping back to what you said from the first, sucking out the... Sucking the chocolate off the outside. Yep. Anyway, we'll be moving on to March 25th after this commercial break. Just now, another kid dropped out of school. There's one every 20 seconds. Over 200 kids an hour. That adds up to nearly 5,000 kids every school day. If we do nothing... 3.5 million kids won't receive a diploma over the next four years. But there is someone who can change that. And that someone is you. United Way knows that kids who have a caring adult in their life are more likely to make it. So make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children because the path to success or failure starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Take the pledge to volunteer now at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. There are many sounds in your day-to-day -day life. There are sounds that wake you up. Sounds that make you smile. Sounds that energize you. 
and sounds that help you relax. But there are some sounds that can alert you to danger and can help save lives. Wireless emergency alerts, now on many mobile devices, use a unique sound and vibration to bring you information about severe weather events, amber alerts, or other emergencies in your area. With critical information from local sources you know and trust, you can be in the know, wherever you are. For more information, visit ready.gov alerts. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Moving on to March 25th, we have Tolkien Reading Day. Let we starting out with 1937 with the publication of The Hobbit, and as Fantasy Neville has never been out of print ever since. Then we have the years of 1954 and 55, which saw the publication of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Actually, that's not until much later. My bad. In 1962, but 54 and 55, this. The Hobbit became famously sold with 150 million copies. Then in 1962, a book of 16 poems Tolkien wrote, including the characters of Lord of the Rings, was published. And then finally in 1983, 12-volume series of books published between 1983 and 1996, presenting Tolkien's of Middle-earth over time. Can you imagine 150 million things being sold? 150 million copies? Yeah. Well, just think about that, especially back back then, how much, like, how hot popular that was. Because, like, if you look, our population, like, skyrocketed after after a while. But, like, just think about 150 million. And if that was just in U.S., I don't know where that was. I don't know if it was worldwide or not. But if it was just in U.S., think about how many people, like, had like two copies of the same book or something like that that'd be crazy well it was it was that good of a book and and even so the lord of the and even so it gave birth to the lord of the rings yeah a fam, famous uh mavis famous franchise that spawns that spawns six movies and e that spawns six movies and even some and even a and even a fan base is about as large as Dun, dungeons and dragons or something like that uh-oh, I might upset you here, John, because I've never seen it. <laughs> oh, boy. Never seen Lord of the Rings, never seen The Hobbit. It's on It's on my list of stuff that I, I want to see, but you know how we're in college and stuff, and I just get, I get to the point where it's very difficult to watch a movie because I have so much stuff going on. So I have like work to do. So like I'll take a break and watch something on on like YouTube or I scroll through one of the social medias. I, I just haven't had time to actually sit down and watch a movie every once in a while. Yeah, I, the last movie I actually watched was uh, I Death on the Nile, and that was during my spring break down in Hilton Head. Even so, I met I me I remember reading the books and then watching the movies of the Lord of the Rings because this was also the time when the Hobbit movies were starting to come out and even lit it even even back then they said that would couldn't it was impossible to be filmed and film and animators like ralph bakshi actually took an attempt well, think about the harry potter themed stuff too and how big that has like exploded um i just haven't like i haven't really read a lot of novel series stuff um as i've gotten as i've gotten older i haven't been reading as much as I would like to 
my my solution is though is I love audiobooks and sitting and listening to audiobooks and stuff and I understand that personally I'm I'll miss more but at the same time it, I can be multitasking while still listening to something and even so even the, even when people say that it's just a little bit of the witchcraft or demonic worshiping he actually did take a lot of inspirations from religious mythology and stuff like that right so i don't think that's really a good argument when even though he based it on it it's not really fair to call it demonic just because it based off he created a world based off all of those religious well, it's 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 mythology not de not uh demonic stuff yeah even so I, I think the reason why i brought this up is because of the whole dark dungeons thing yeah it, there's a there's a lot of people that just believe that there are people that worship the stuff in the book. I feel like and not just enjoy the book. I, I think it's I think it is a creative imagination that allows you to enjoy it as much. Like I said though, I I haven't done a lot of that as much as I'd like to. But um, like like I said, I like listening to audiobooks and stuff. Like I remember you were in my English class and we would read plays and stuff and i'd actually listen to audiobooks of plays and take notes and that's how i did that that was kind of a i like that class because we recovered poetry and everything in that class i really liked it try to remember which class that was that was sophomore year i remember that because you referred to me as devon for an entire class <laughs> i forgot about that oh god yeah. anyway moving on we have international waffle day act which if you I've actually seen that actually during during lunch today. Yep. Where you get to create waffles. The, yeah. Actually, did you know that waffles actually traced back to the 1400s when they were described, when it was used to describe uh, the whole uh, the Virgin Mary fiasco? And in the 1600s, waffles came to Sweden with the symbols adding Wolfredagen and Vorfuljagen that united the two holidays. And in 1839, they became sweeter, and the modern Belgian waffle was created. And the 2000s, we started getting the whole International Waffle Day, and where people make and eat waffles and share their love on social media. I, I like waffles. I think I have to be in the right mood for waffles, to be honest. Yeah, especially when you draw, especially when you uh, cover it with syrup, and it gets that little, it gets that perfect fluffiness. And I actually like the syrup on the waffle more than I like syrup on pancakes. I'll actually eat a pancake with just butter. You what? Um, yeah, because it feels like it was made for syrup because you well, got, it has all the holes in it. Yeah. I yeah. used to put, like to put the syrup in the holes. Yep. And and like my pap used to like, like this is kind of also the thing, like the difference between it is like when I was a kid, my pap always put brown sugar on, on pancakes and then he put just syrup on on waffles so it was like kind of a thing too when i'd when i'd see that it's kind of an observance thing and i mean i think it was kind of cool because you know they're honestly they're similar batters uh but they taste quite a bit different just because the way they're cooked i think waffle i think the modern belgian waffle is kind of like the only breakfast food i could see working as a breakfast and a dessert because you could also put like ice cream and chocolate syrup on it also a lunch you know chicken and waffles uh, yeah, and there's two two different ways to make chicken and waffles i forgot about that because how i've always saw seen chicken and waffles is my mom would do like chicken and gravy like some sort of gravy and and put it over the waffle but then if you look down south and um in like 
below t- or Tennessee below, they do fried chicken on a waffle with syrup, which is kind of interesting. I I've seen it done here just once or twice. It's kind of an interesting thing to see. Um, I just I don't know how I feel about it just because of how I've always eaten it. Yeah, it feels like waffles, no matter what time of the day you eat it, it always works. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner, it, it can work either way. I used to get, in my in my high school, I used to sneak through uh, the breakfast line and find they had um, waffle sandwiches, breakfast sandwiches with a sausage and egg in it, and I, that was my favorite. Even so, we'll be moving on to the weekend right after this commercial break. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't seen your lap in months. And even more stuff. But still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed. And they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs. And it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Hey, America, we need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We got extra food and we've got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America in your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Anyway, we're back this time with the weekend of March 26th and 27th. Let's start off with the 26th with National Nougat Day. Nougat. This actually goes back to the first century. The Romans invented the nougat as a way of honoring their gods and enriching their cultural heritage. It didn't really uh, get any further than that until the 1500s and 1600s when they it started gaining popularity from different people from different cultures as it started incorporating it into their food items. In 1851, the hard canning making machine is displayed at the Great Exhibition in London for all to see. And in 1932, the Three Musketeers chocolate bar becomes one of the first major commercial brands to have nougat inside of it. Oh, okay. I, I, you know, nougat is one of those words that you've always heard, but you never know what exactly it is. It's also kind of fun to say. Nougat. <laughs> but so here's, here is what it is. Honey, roasted nuts, whipped egg whites, and candied fruit sometimes i see so it's like uh i guess it's like a weird peanut butter isn't it <laughs> kind of a frankenstein peanut butter 
Yeah. So like, but like, it, it makes sense or because Frankenstein's monster. Romans people. had like a really, if I remember right, Romans had a very decent diet. Or I know Greeks did. I think Romans did too. So like, having it as honey and not regular sugar makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Even so, I actually do really like. And even so, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of weird to see that this is a kind of like a Frankenstein's monster combination of, of a different things. It just kind of like as what is nuka kind of like a paste i'm trying to remember it's like um it's like a a goo yeah that. it's it's that like it's like inside of a milky way yeah that kind of like caramel kind of it's more solid than that it's like um if you took if a powder was slightly liquidy so you could like form it like play-doh I see. you know what i mean it's like like really good play-doh I see. Even and even with the Three Musketeers, I actually do like that candy bar. It's one of the first chocolate candy bars I tasted, and I like the dark chocolate ones. Really? Yes. R really, it's just I don't know the whole. Th and even so, I and even so, it remains one of my more favorite candy bars to this day. Right. And even so, we wouldn't have that peanut that uh, candy bar if it weren't thanks to weren't thanks to the creation known as nougat. Milk chocolate as well. Yeah. Yeah, and even milk chocolate. And it does trace back to the whole uh, chocolate, uh, the whole chocolate-covered raisins thing. In Pennsylvania with Hershey's chocolate. Yeah. Even so, uh, I it's think crazy. Mars owns that, actually. Yep, Mars owns that, but I think I think Hershey did help because Hershey invented milk chocolate, like modern milk chocolate. Indirectly, I might In have. Indirectly a little bit. And even so, and even so, it's... Even so, it did give me uh, to appreciate uh, later chocolate bars like Butterfinger or oh, I love Butterfinger. or the main Hershey's bar or there's even there's even an M and M's chocolate bar that I yep. remember. Remember, no, they're I having don't think crazy candy bars out now. There's like I saw a Fruity Pebbles candy bar. It was like the white chocolate with Fruity Pebbles in it. <laughs> it's interesting. I haven't had it yet. I'm still waiting for the day where they just have a sound effect and call it a candy bar. Like splounched, crunch, crunch. That's another example. Mm -hmm. That's another example. Nestle's crunch. Yep, I do the, like crunch bars. They're one of my favorites. The chocolate with the rice. Yep, crisp rice. Yeah, I'm still trying to find out how it makes that crunch sound though. Crispy it's rice. like kind of like rice krispies. It's rice krispies inside of milk chocolate. Yeah, basically it it is kind of intriguing and speaking of intriguing we also have world theater day and this goes back to the our grecian friends with poet tra tra tragedian and author thespis arriving in athens with his troop and performs in the marketplace in 534 bc then in 55 bc pompey the great builds the first permanent store th stone theater in rome then in 15 85, widely regarded as the world's oldest theater in the world, the Teatro Olimpico in Vicenza, Italy, is inaugurated with the performance of Sophocles' Oedipus. Then in 1962, World Theater Day is celebrated for the first time in ITI centers and ITI cooperating members, theater professionals and organizers, theater academies, and all theater lovers around the world on March 27th. I was in theater. <laughs> I, I was a theater kid in, in high school. Um, like I said, I did a lot of musicals and stuff. Uh, 
back then I was a little bit, or not a little bit, I was a little, I was thinner, and I was able to actually do some dancing and and stuff like that. And it was the fact is is that I had a loud enough voice. We had a smaller uh, auditorium, and they could actually shut my mic off, and they could hear me in the back of the auditorium. I'm I. Uh, was a bit of a theater kid, but my sister went all out. She uh, was actually the manager for the high school productions back then, and even now she's a Broadway manager. She's actually a manager for Broadway productions in New York City. She even was the manager at the Muty during one season, where me and my family actually saw a production of Matilda there. That's cool. I've seen uh, one musical on Broadway. I've seen, I've actually seen, I've actually seen like three off the top of my head. It was really cool. The first one I saw, saw was with my dad called Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. And actually, it actually went, went well. It actually uh, ran actually pretty good. Good. When I I saw it I saw um, Kinky Boots. As well as Once on This Island, you know, the whole spherical stage, but they had like a spirit they had like the feats all around and had like the stage in the middle and try to simulate the feeling of an island and then during one of my college during one of my college uh, co- college tours back during my senior year this was also when my sister was in her first year in col- in Pace University she actually took me to a production of SpongeBob the musical that's cool so yeah i and even so, the reason why I saw Once on This Island is because I asked my sister and she gave me advice. And that was during for, for a band trip to New York City. So I've been there more times than you could shake a stick at. Yeah, I've only been there a handful of times and I think it was kind of special. I mean, it was it was pretty cool. It's just the fact that I don't usually go to New York City that often. Uh, if I do, usually it's on a bus because parking is not a fun time there. And even so, my uh, sister helped out with uh, the season, the previous season of the Rockets, and we were supposed to go to the Christmas show as a way of supporting her, but then the Omicron variant of COVID hit and canceled all the shows for the rest of the season. It happens. Yeah. So we, it, it, it was pretty much just a thing of improvising right. for there's, travel. There's only so much you can do about, about what's going on. Yeah, and I, and I, I, I hope that Broadway gets its res- the resurgence it needs now that, now that things are kind of getting a little bit easier. Absolutely, I agree. It's the only, I I am, I am just one that tends to stay out of politics of everything. Anyway, that's gonna do it for this session. If you're listening to this live, we'll have a brief, brief musical interlude. Isaac, thank you for showing up. Thank you for having me. See you next time, guys.